moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Cascading Leadership. We are in for another great episode. I am your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Lawrence Brown, otherwise known as LB. Hello, LB. I see you brought your big voice in today. Thanks for showing up. I'm super excited about uh, our featured guest, and uh, she's in stealth mode right now, so we won't let the cat out of the bag right now. But she's got a phenomenal story. And when we talk about career journeys, this is going to be a journey with some killer takeaways. So with that being said, will our mystery guest introduce herself? Yes. And thank you for having me, Jim and LB. Uh, glad to be here. I am Maricar Obieta, also known as Maricar. And I am currently the Global Head of Learning and Leadership Development, Willis Towers Watson, also now known as WTW. It's a role that I absolutely adore being in. I love the opportunity to develop people and frankly, to develop leaders because they are what count in terms of taking our businesses forward. So I've been with WTW for six years. And prior to that, spent a lot of time in financial services over 20 years both in the business, in the front line as a sales and trading person, and then moved into the learning and development space where I chose to stay because to me, it is a place where I feel I can really make a lot of impact and make a difference. I'm so looking forward to this conversation because there's so much context and texture that we're going to get into. Now, full disclosure, I'm going to brag on you a little bit, Maricar. So we actually shared a panel in Miami. It was a learning and development panel. And the, and that's where I actually met Maricar. And, and the topic was building community through whatever learning initiatives that you have. And Maricar completely crushed it along with her fellow panelists. So it was a really fun conversation. We got some really good reviews. It's super exciting to have you on here. So thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing the, the highlights of where you are. But I think a good place for us to start is at the beginning and get a good understanding of where you came from, because that's one of the central themes of our conversation. So tell us about your early years and early experiences. So I was born in the Philippines, up in the mountains, actually. And family background, large family, eight children. My own parents came from families of, believe it or not, 13 and 14 children. You can't fathom these numbers today. So my ancestry from my kind of mother's side is Hispanic. So Spain, my grandparents wandered off to the Philippines as part of the galleon trade years ago and established their roots there. The family grew and was built in the Philippines. So really being raised in a large family is interesting in and of itself, taking into account the fact that you have to consider all your other siblings. But the one thing that I am 
really pleased about is the focus on education that my parents had. My father himself was an educator. And that is the one thing that I feel is foundational to who I am. And that has helped me actually work my way through my own educational career, being driven to make sure that I achieved very well and that I actually attained levels of accomplishment all through university and further into a master's education. And Jim, you mentioned nerd there. Really interesting because I caught up with a, a high school mate who happens to also be in uh, the same company. And we were just talking about how both of us were nerds. So, yep, <laughs> I think there's a bit of a nerd in me and nothing to be shy about. I'm fairly proud about it. And that nerd is really what drove me to make sure I did the best in everything I could do. And that established the early life vision for me. I was driven at a very young age to see myself move to other frontiers, to leave a country that was very much an underdeveloped country. And I just felt my future was not going to be there. And I took every step to be able to look for scholarships and things and to move out of the country. And luckily, I found myself being part of a high potential program when I first worked. Citigroup, which was my very first uh, job back in the Philippines. And I was assigned to New York, worked there for a number of years. And then from there, I was further assigned to the UK, where I spent most of my, really most of my career. And from the UK, decided to come to Florida, uh, where the weather actually is much more appealing and friendly and, and warm. I definitely agree with you on the weather part. and. LB and I are Midwesterners, so LB is in the Chicagoland area and I'm in the Milwaukee area. I don't know if you should be rubbing too much salt in the wounds about the uh, phenomenal (laughs) weather that you have in Miami. I want to follow up on a couple of things because the education focus, we'll talk about that throughout the conversation. But I'm really interested in understanding how you being a part of a large family and growing up in an underdeveloped country... How did that shape your worldview? How did that influence your work ethic? What sort of impacts did that have in how you move forward as a kid, as a young adult? Give us some details on that. Growing up in a large family, I'd say there are really two things here. One is that sense of having to, and maybe it might just be particular to my family, that sense of having to perform as well as your older siblings. I was the youngest. And the flip side to that is the greatness of having role models and being able to follow their paths and really looking up to them and knowing that it. my elder siblings had to work through more challenging times. And believe it or not, having their very early years and just seeing how they just served as role models, which was great. So that was one thing that that drove me to really want to do well. And then the other factor is really looking at large family, having to work through, well, dare I say, financial aspect and having the challenge of wanting to achieve to make sure that you yourself can help your family and, dare I say, 
to the extent you can, the country in terms of having better economic um, outcomes. And I felt that, hey, you know what, for whatever it's worth and in, in however little way, if I go abroad, earn in hard dollars, some of that can be you know, sent back to the country to help the family and to help basically the developing state of the nation. So a lot of that, I think, is still very much embedded in terms of wanting to help folks who are still in the roots you've come from. Mark, I thank you for that. So as I was listening to what you were saying, something that came to mind is the birth order oftentimes comes up in conversations when people are talking about what was their drive when they were younger. And you talked a little bit about having the role models. How do you think that that has also influenced the way that you, the way that you actually see the world and the way that you actually manage today? So that's an interesting question. I do have these conversations with my siblings. It really helped me to appreciate some of the struggles that my older siblings went through that I luckily did not. And it's that gratitude to say, geez, if I was number two or number one or number three, it was like I would have to be shaping things and trading off more things than I have had to as the youngest. So in many ways, I felt very blessed as the beneficiary of their experiences and of the efforts they went through to actually help their younger siblings. And I am absolutely thankful for that to this very day, that I consider myself lucky in that sense. And I am pleased and they're pleased too. In many ways, they look at me and they say, you did not throw away. You didn't rubbish what you learned and just really maximize and, and, and try to do operate as best I could, yeah. benefiting from that. It sounds like that, that, that there's a bit of that collective success, right? That through the benefit of what your siblings had gone through and looking back on it in retrospect, the conversations that you all have had, it gives you that opportunity to be uh, thankful about it. I'd like you to answer this question as opposed to me putting words into your mouth, but it sounds what I've heard you talk about so far in your leadership style, just in these brief few minutes, that you have a sense of, of empathy too. So that empathetic leadership, how do you think that's correlated to what you just described for us? Yeah, it's funny you phrase it that way, but yes, absolutely. It has influenced the way I lead and the fact that even today with my team and all, all my previous teams, the way I lead is very I lead in a very coaching way because I've learned that to grow, you have to make the effort yourself. And I'm going to repeat this later, Ray. perhaps something to take away. It's, it's, you got to know thyself. And as a leader, you have to empathize rather than direct. People have to discover. But at the same time, you have to understand and put yourself in the shoes of the folks that you're leading. So yeah, I, it has helped. It has absolutely helped shape my leadership style. That now that you've mentioned that, I reflect upon it and I say, yes, actually, that is. True. Yeah, definitely. And that's uh, and for me, like I said, I definitely heard that that connection. The other thing that I thought was interesting is that how you've come full circle from the influence of your father and, and being an educator, and now you are actually an educator. So you've 
brought it full circle and, and carried the the carried the, the family mm-hmm. tradition, so to speak. Yeah. I don't know. It just happened, actually, LB. And it's interesting because I, too, think about it and I say, so I, in, in many ways, not educating the same way I've followed those footsteps. And I've found that I have really enjoyed the development and, and education side of things. I like to see people grow. And even through my career, my many years, there are folks now who are in other companies who are, you could call them my peers, I would say a couple of whom used to work for me in other firms in the past. And now I see them and we're in touch. And it's really great to see that in many ways. And they have told me that I have helped to shape their development along the way. And I still mentor a few of them. So I continue to educate LB. And I do so with my children, maybe perhaps too much of a dragon (laughs) mother. But anyway, hey, I see nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Absolutely not. I think that Jim will probably agree. I'm also a father and it's it's important, I think, to, to pass on some of those values and to offer that. And I think it's really also really interesting that you talk about the coach approach and what you're really something I had learned couple of years ago was the whole idea and notion of the coach approach. So when you're describing, like, you don't separate from that, right? So as you said, you're a coach in the home with the uh, Mm -hmm, the children. mm -hmm. And I think that that's important, right? Because it means that you're able to be who you are throughout your life and not take off one hat and put on another and have to do all this shape shifting. Yep. I was about to say that. I said it's it's not say that, whoa, I'm authentic, but it just makes it easy to live at work and your personal lives at home authentically. It's who I am. Absolutely. Yeah. It, this, is, this is a really interesting conversation line. I, I want to go back to something that you mentioned that ties back into your family experience and where you grew up and how that drove you going forward. And so we're going to circle back a little bit. Being the youngest, getting the benefit of all of the learning from your 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 older siblings, understanding where you grew up from a economic conditions perspective, those are all some pretty big influences. Did you feel any sense of pressure or responsibility to live up to those either stated or unstated expectations? And the reason why I asked this question mm-hmm. is... You mentioned something earlier in the conversation about one of the things that I wanted to do, and I'm paraphrasing, is when I get out of the Philippines, I want to be able to send money back to advance the community there as much as I could. So I'm trying to understand where that sense of duty or came from. Was it out of pressure? Was it out of responsibility? What was the origin of that? Yeah. I felt no pressure. I was not pressured. By neither by the family or external resources, the sources. Oh, just to be I, clear, I, I, I want to clarify the pressure component. It's probably, I wasn't going the external pressure route. It's, hey, I have all of these people counting on me. I have, I've gained so much benefit from all of the people around me that have invested in my development. So I have to live up to their. Mm. So that's what I mean by pressure. Not, hey, when you leave the country, you got, you're our golden ticket. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. So you could say I put the pressure on myself. 
I needed to make the most of the fact that I was blessed with opportunities. And I would be damned, sorry, pardon the word, if I threw it all away and didn't actually pay forward in a sense. So was there pressure? Yeah, it was self-inflicted, if you want to call it that. I, I needed, I, I wanted to make sure that I achieved and I performed well because I had the opportunity to. And what a waste it would have been if I didn't do It's It's yeah, interesting that, yeah, it's super interesting that you mention it because I talk to people all the time. And oftentimes people from really humble beginnings have this sense of responsibility that they have a duty to pay back or uplift as much as they can because they if you're growing up poor in the east and you make it to the west you've regardless of what your life in the west looks like my the feeling that i get from other people that have grown up like you and i have Maricar, is that we've quote unquote made it. So we need to make sure that we do whatever possible to bring others with us. And, uh, and we have that sense of responsibility. My mom did that same sort of thing. There are so many relatives that she put through school once she brought us over mm-hmm. here. And that, that seems to be of a, of a pattern. So that's what, what caught my interest. So thanks for sharing that. So now we, we have a good you know feel for kind of the roots of how you developed and what you care about. So when you started making that transition into the world of work, what was your worldview in terms of formative experiences that you brought into the world of work? And then how did that shape sort of your early career journey? What did you want to do? How did you figure that out? What did you learn? Walk us through that. So what did I want to do? Because of this desire to cross borders and going to other frontiers, believe it or not, my first instinct when I was like in middle school or whatever you call it is uh, I said, you know what? I want to be a diplomat. I want to work in the foreign service. And so I toyed with that idea until it reached the point where it was like, all righty, crunch time. You need to make a decision. What do you do? Do you go into the arts? Do you go into the sciences? And the reality is I was a bit of a nerd and my passion was really much more in the kind of the sciences and maths and what have you. And so I say, you know what? Nah, I'm not going to be uh, in the foreign service. And then I started to hear stories of people in the foreign service, etc. I said, is that really what I want to do? I really so politically inclined or so. I said, I am so not. That is not me. So I said, well, you know what? Let's go into something technical that you're good at, that you're strong at, and then let's work it from there. So yes, I did study maths and finance in my underground uh, undergrad and then did a further that my MBA was in finance as well. And I enjoyed, absolutely enjoyed kind of numbers, maths and what have you, and did very well, if I may say so myself. My father was also very much a an educator professor of sciences and chemistry and, and, and maybe that influenced it. And that's how I selected my path in terms of what I would study was really what am I good at and do I enjoy it? And the answer was, yes, I'm good at this and I enjoy it. And that's what I'm going to do. Nobody really heavily influenced that path. It was 
my choice. And that to me was the beauty of it. And all the more that drove me to want to achieve in that space because it was absolutely what I chose myself. And I felt at that point, I said, what if I start off with something technical, I felt that I could always build the more liberal art side around it, which eventually I did, right, along the way. I love the theater and the arts. All through high school and even in university, I participated a lot in the theater and the arts. I competed in public speaking engagements. And that to me was the sort of, that was the art side that I said I would pursue, which I think actually reflects on where I am today. It's, it's like that, the enjoyment of facilitation and teaching in, in terms of leadership development programs, et cetera. I think part of that also reflects on the fact that I do enjoy being in front of audiences sometimes. You, you stole my question. Uh, you absolutely answered it in, this, in the sense I was going to actually ask you, essentially both sides of the brain influence you as an individual and as a leader. And you answered that question. But don't worry, I have tons of other <laughs> questions because I think your background is just absolutely um, fascinating. Some of the questions I'll probably try to hold until later. But one of the things that that you talked about was going from the Philippines to the UK to New York and then Florida. And so I would imagine that's given you a pretty broad vantage point to have seen different styles of leadership, I would say would be my first question. And and how has that influenced you? And the second is that what have you seen from a workforce perspective in terms of when you look at that collective group of individuals that you've had the opportunity to work with? So from a leadership perspective, absolutely, there are differences. So I first moved to the U.S. before going to the U.K. And at a time where you're working in banking, you're in the front line, you're in a sales role. And yeah, the leadership was nothing similar to what we see today. And it was part of the culture of that industry, perhaps. And even then, you look up and you say, is that really what I want to be? And I already had some inklings at that point that, well, nope, that's not the sort of leader I want to see. And when I had the opportunity to move to the UK, initially, it was a little frustrating in the sense that I had grown so used to the style of leadership in the US, which is very present, almost like in your face. And then moving to leadership that is more cloaked in a way. And you felt sometimes that you wanted to pull more from the leaders and say, talk to me. What exactly are you saying? What is your vision? So it's a difference in style. And I did feel that I had to adjust to the change. At one point, I was so frustrated. I remember telling my husband, okay, I can't, I want to go back to New York. I can't. This, no, this is not working for me. But then eventually, years, months, years passed by. I actually grew to adjust to actually the leadership style that you would see in the UK and in Europe, quite different. But to me, what I take away from that is, and the beauty and that I had the opportunity to actually work with global companies. And I think I mentioned this to Jim, that global view. And and the world is really molding into almost one. And that ability to reflect what 
I've learned in the US, in the UK, and vice versa, frankly, to me has been great. I can see different leadership perspectives more than others who I work with have had the opportunity to do. That's awesome. I want to uh, also ask you this because, uh, and I'll, I want to give you a little bit of background. Over the last several years that I've been coaching, I've had the fortune of two things. One, probably for at least half of my corporate career, having worked for women leaders, it's been word of mouth with my clients. Many of them have been women. And so I'm interested in hearing about, you talked a little bit about the leadership styles and the variances. How has that been from the perspective as a woman, the differences mm. and the nuances between the two, how do you yes. believe it has it impacted uh, you? So I'm going to talk about how I felt when I was in those particular geographies. But we have to bear in mind that I was there in different stages of my career. So when I first moved to New York, I think it was a factor of the industry and the stage of my career. I didn't feel discriminated upon at all. I'll be perfectly honest. I have never really felt it as much as I hear other females or other people of different ethnicity as they talk about it. I did not feel that way. Now, between the US and the UK, yes, there were differences. Where in the US, I probably felt a little more pressured in a way to behave and operate the way other team members were operating. Probably better off wearing pants. That sort of thing, get that suit on. But I think that was part of that world too, okay, in financial services. But I have to say, women were quite, they were recognized and it was fine. I didn't really feel, oh, okay, I am not going to get anywhere here. And so I better call it quits now. And again, maybe I was lucky enough, but a part of that too was recognizing that there was that possibility. And you could see it with other, obviously with other females who felt that, who did not quite feel the way I was feeling and just putting yourself out there and showing that you are worth being, having a seat at the table because you know what I have, I can perform, but I, right. I did feel I had to perform at the very onset. So the pressure was on when I first moved, it was like, okay, it's a different environment. I've got to get on the treadmill and perform well and run fast. That was the one thing I did feel. That's an important call out. When you're describing the, when you said that your experiences have been different from other women. I think that's encouraging to hear. It sounds as though if you were definitely feeling that way, that the environment is different. And I think it's important for us to hear that the environment is, is different. As you talked about your journey, right? The geographic journeys and looking at leadership, something that people oftentimes don't account for is we talk about the influence from leaders that we've worked with. And it's like, oh, this person did X, Y, Z, and I would absolutely do that. But one of the things that I oftentimes don't hear, and you actually just touched on, is the idea and notion of what are the things that people, that leaders did that I would say, not going to put that in my toolkit because I don't think mm -hmm. that that's necessarily effective. The other one was is that I think in, in coming around to that, was your whole idea of, of adaptation and how important it is to do that. Because when you said you first got there, you were ready to abandon ship and say, oh, no, I don't want to do this. 
but you actually stuck with it and were able to glean attributes from that environment that has probably shaped and informed you today as a leader and having that perspective, which is really a unique one as you in U.S. leadership chains where we are nationalistic, very centered on only the American perspective. So I think it's just amazing that you have, I think, again, like I said, your story is just super cool. And one that I don't want to dominate the conversation because I see Jim over there chomping at the bit to jump into, but Mark, I'm a new fan. And so looking forward to continuing the conversation. I'm just going to say this right now. This show only has room for one fanboy at a time. (laughs) And I already called dibs on that way early in the program. Yeah. You need to chill out with that, LB. You've mentioned how the benefit of your global experience shaped you in any number of ways and, and helped you become who you are right now. So what I'm curious about is what are the big benefits that you captured from all of that global experience? And how would you advise mm-hmm. emerging leaders on a roadmap to take advantage of that. I want you to help the audience understand and the listeners understand what you get out of that global experience and that global exposure, both from a cultural and business perspective. What were the big things that you took away from that? Yeah, I would say they're all related, by the way. There were really three things that come to mind. Empathy. If you think about different cultures and you're relating and communicating with folks who are, say, operating in the U.S. or in the U.K. or in Europe, etc., you have to understand. You've got empathy, listening and empathy together. You have to understand where they're coming from. And I had the benefit of seeing other cultures and operating in other cultures. And I made myself fully aware of that. Listen, where are they coming from? It may not be where you're coming from, but put yourself in their shoes. So that is something that comes to me, I'd say, easily in the sense that I I, I can't get upset about things because I am trying to listen to what other people are saying and what they've gone through or going through. And then LB used the word adaptation, big takeaway. And we don't necessarily use the word adaptation with empathy, but if you think about it, they're very related you are basically adapting yourself because you are putting yourself in the shoes of somebody else. I did a hell of a lot of adaptation. And just thinking about my move from the US to the the UK was a whole piece of adaptation as well. So you've got to be able to adapt yourself. You've got to be able to listen. And overarching to all of this is know thyself. Know thyself, because before you can jump into somebody else's shoes, you also have to know thyself so that you can understand whether, hey, am I jumping into your shoes or am I actually just thinking I am, but I'm being myself? So it's really understanding that. So those those were key things I took away. Alongside that is always keeping the goal of wanting to achieve regardless of the noise around you. And filtering the noise, being strong about the one the trade-offs you want to make. You will be making trade-offs because you will be operating in different situations, in different scenarios within different cultures. If I'm taking all of that stuff that you said and putting it on a bumper sticker, it, it points me to 
the pursuit of the ultimate win-win outcome is what you're talking about. At least that's how it strikes me. You're, that's you're, a nice way of putting it. So throughout your career and growing up, you were drawn to the technical aspects of career life. You were in a technical function. And yet what's striking to me about this conversation is that there's so much that you talk about empathy. So normally when I think about a technical person, it's very clinical objective, that sort of stuff. So how did you, as a highly technical person in a technical function, build the capability and the capacity to be as empathetic as you are? What was the process that kind of brought you to that understanding and that ability to execute empathetically with the people that you lead? That's interesting. And I think it also reflects back to growing up with many people and many siblings. And I think I quickly realized, even as an individual contributor, that you cannot succeed alone in a collective. And if you do want to do that, then choose a different path. Don't work in the corporate world, for example. And I think that dawned upon me right away. And also the fact that, yes, I may be technical, but it doesn't mean that I need to disregard the fact that I am a social, I'm a social being. And as a matter of fact, the two can work together. And I think that was very important for me. I saw it, like I mentioned, even as an individual contributor, and I saw it as I was moving in my career. I said, what differentiates me from my peer who's technical as well is the fact that I could relate to others. And I saw it in banking where you would, people would say, oh, that let's not do the deal with that guy because he's just difficult to work with. Who wants to work with him? And you would see that, right? So you can marry technical with effectively the more social aspects of your working life. And then very clearly you see as you move up the ladder that you bring your technical with you, but it's not the technical that's going to steal the deal. It is going to be the fact that you can bring people with you and you the achievement is not yours alone. It is everybody in your it's everybody in the team that brings it and recognizing that and make making that leap from being purely technical to dare I say bringing people with you. When I hear what you're saying, that's good old fashioned emotional intelligence there, being able to because you've talked a lot about this. You've talked a lot about your own self-awareness, I think you've referenced uh, know thyself maybe two or three times. And so that's that important component of having a good understanding of who you are. And But on the other side of it, you've also, in an equal balance of the conversation, right, have also talked about observing others, the way in which yes. you have the capacity to influence others. And you've wrapped that into a, a direction for folks that you have seen and for our listeners. And as I think about it, I guess the question moves to the whole idea, one, of that being technically proficient doesn't necessarily move your career forward solely. And so sometimes you have people that really truly believe uh, that if I I am the best at what I do, that the fruits of the labor will be seen. And I don't necessarily have to get along with people. And uh, I am an educator. And I oftentimes share this with my students. If you are the most brilliant person in the room, but nobody likes you, you're only (laughs) going to get so far. So you actually touched on that as well, because you talked about the the role of individual contributor. And there are some people who are completely fine with never stepping into the the throes of leadership, 
but one would imagine that you still want to progress. And so I think that you touched on some really important uh, elements there. I was just going to add to that to say that you can be an individual contributor all your life, and that's fine. And we have experts. When you think about the talent matrix and you think about high performance and you know high potential, we tend to say high performance, you tend to be expert, and that's fine. But guess what? You still need to work with people. And in reality, wouldn't you want to be a leader in your own right? So people look Absolutely. up to you for your expertise, but actually for the fact that you can help shape others. But there's a phrase that uh, I know a number of companies have used, and, and it's a, a mindset, right, of leading from every seat. And so I, I think you, you absolutely touched on that. And what, a lot of times, for example, as an individual contributor, there are things that you're working on, and you want to be able to push that agenda to be able to continue to work on it. And if you have the ability to communicate that effectively and exactly. be someone who is amicable, someone that you want to work with, there's a greater likelihood that you're going to succeed in that. What are some of the things that are your motivators, what's your mission, and what are some of the initiatives or causes that are of interest to you? So today, my key motivators are not much has changed in the sense that I want to keep being an expert at what I do. That That is who I am. I want to do it very well. I want to keep learning, learning. I was not, I am not I wasn't born in the digital era, but my God, do I love just learning about how the whole world of, of L&D is changing because of digital. I'm just eating that up. So keep learning. The newness of things happening around us and, and indeed some, and, and the pace at which it's happening, that's a motivator. And how does that show up at work? I try to bring a lot of kind of new things and say, why don't we try this? Oh, let's do a pilot here. Why not? Is that why not? That why not question. Sometimes it's difficult because you don't have budgets, et cetera. But trying to test the waters with new things. And in terms of causes, I would say from my perspective, at least within our corporate scenario, it's really helping. So I'm a parent mentor, for example, help helping women who return to work. I am I am helping spread the word as a speaker internally in terms of helping females to help themselves in to help others in breaking the bias and that's a theme right now currently always key to say we say hey break the bias wait hang on a minute you are part of helping that process it, it can't just be everybody doing it you have to help them to do it so you have to play your part so these are the things that are also tie into initiatives at work. And I guess in, in many ways, also helping the younger pools. When I was in the UK, one of the things I was also a mentor for an operating and supporting educational institution, helping to bring immigrant children up and just helping them to read, for example, and mentoring them around their projects, helping them think about developing what they're good at and aiming high. Yeah, you should aim to, to go to Oxford if you want to. Why not? And these are the sort of things that I enjoy doing. And it's very much around really developing developing people. There's, there's a lot there. And, and I want to do a quick follow-up before we transition into, into the key takeaways that, uh, that yes. you want to share. You mentioned a couple of things in terms of your areas of passion and how that's showing up uh, in your work. And one is 
getting women back in the workforce, paving the way that way, building more of a leadership bench with women. What are some of the innovative things that you're doing to advance both of those initiatives? So in terms of inside work, we have a number of initiatives that are, yes, around, I'm calling it breaking the bias in terms of gender specifically, and it's across different geographies. My team have helped to shape a program that really focuses on leadership presence, leadership brand, and helping women in different geographies to to become, well, more visible, I will say, but helping to upscale them. I mentioned this when we were together in that conference, Jim, is really a program around helping women to work with senior leaders, getting senior leaders to actually work alongside them through very specific projects. So while they drive the project, they pull from the leader's perspectives and learn from that. And we're crossing leaders from different functions. So you're not necessarily working with a leader from within your function or geo necessarily. That's a phenomenal initiative. That's a I'll be really interested down the road to see what impact that has. So my one question before we do the wrap-up, so or we can do it as part of the wrap-up. You talked about being a lifelong mm-hmm. learner. What are you currently reading or what are you currently podcasting other than the Cascading Leadership podcast, right? Because I'm sure you're checking us out there. What other podcast might you be listening to or book that you might be reading? Currently, I'm just looking at my shelf here, and I have the book Lead Care Win okay. that is with me. And you might laugh about this, but I am still interested in the pleasure of finding things out. Richard Feynman, you might have come across him. So that's a bit nerdy. It goes into the <laughs> physics of things, but I just like to break it with a bit of that. And then there's Leadership and Self-Deception. Getting Out of the Box. That was a book, I think, more directed female leaders. So yeah, these are the the things I'm reading. I, I just got an HBR issue also recently shipped to me. I haven't opened it yet, but keeping in line with that. Yeah, so you are officially in the, you're officially in the nerd club because those are all the things that Jim and I talk about all the time, right? About HBR, McKenzie, MIT Sloan, and you know, podcasting and the oh, books. Yeah. And, and the reason yeah, that so I bring I this those. up, Marikar, is as we close out, is that one of the things that you said like several times throughout this amazing conversation that we've had with you is know thyself. And so you are actually leading in the belief that you are sharing with other people about knowing thyself because you're actually constantly doing those things. And I bring that up because as we talk about moving your career further, faster, this is one of the things that you have to build an acuity for is really a mastery of yourself and a mastery of others. And this is one of the best ways of actually doing that. The other that I I think you talked about and you joke about the Googling versus the internet search, whatever we want to call it, it's also that whole idea of the digital the digital access that we have today and people being mm-hmm. able to truly uh, leverage that. And then lastly, I would say the, the other that really comes to mind that is powerful is leading from the perspective of understanding where other folks are. And so when you talk about some of the female initiatives that you are a part of, really understanding that we are a part of the collective, what you said is bringing it full circle from you know what you learned as a child and being in a big family 
that sort of ability that we support one another and that we support a collective tribe overall. So that that's what sort of uh, stood out to me. I, I believe that the most important part of what I would like to hear are what are the key lessons uh, from your career that you want to share for our audience? At the risk of really being repetitive, LB, I actually listed it down so it's here. And the first thing is know thyself. And following that is leveraging strengths. You got to start from the vantage point of leveraging strengths because that will help you to, I really believe, overcome your weaknesses. And the third thing I have here is don't be shy to take risks. Go for it. I'm not saying go nuts, go crazy, but you have to take risks. If you want to make that next move in your career, you have to be willing, willing to take some risk because you're not necessarily going into known space. The fourth thing I have here is build your network, leverage your network, and it's got to be internal and external. And trust me, and I think we all know this, right? You gain so many perspectives from your network. You learn. And I will own up to the fact that as a confessed introvert, I just thought I said, networking, who needs that? And it was a good friend of mine who actually said, you have to do this. It was difficult for me to do in the beginning, but I managed to get out there and do it. Build your network. I'm grinning about your network comment, Maricar, and I'm pretty sure you know where I'm going. with. How much hounding did I have to do to get you to connect with me on LinkedIn? <laughs> All right. Okay, Jim, that wasn't about network, okay? That was about my <laughs> inbox is going berserk. And Jim, I'm going to get back to you. Just hang in there. I could tell you, I did not know you prior to this podcast, but I totally understand why your inbox is going berserk because you are absolutely amazing. Markar, wow. That's what comes to mind is that in, in this session, it has been a whirlwind of information, and we appreciate your time. Final thoughts for us from Marikar. Just go out there, be confident, and keep the doors open, keep listening, and you could say the world will be yours. I'm hoping that everyone will certainly tune in and listen to uh, the conversation today. I think there are lots of there's a lot of information to be to be learned from it. The If I were to say that there was a, a recurring theme, know thyself would definitely be it. And the whole idea and notion of you living that idea and concept of knowing thyself that really gives you the ability to know others is one that is uh, absolutely a powerful uh, message. And so I hope that everyone will uh, check us out on all of the uh, streaming platforms for uh, podcasts. Also, be tuned. Be stay tuned for any advertisements that we'll be doing on the LinkedIn platform as well. I know that Dr. Jim will be sharing lots of information, and I will as well. And we'll look forward to seeing you and hearing from us on the next episode. Mark, I wish you continued success. You're absolutely amazing. Look out for a LinkedIn uh, connection from me. I, I'd love to follow you and it's gonna take hear it. from you. It, no problem. Maricar, if you accept his LinkedIn invite with anything less than three weeks, I'm going to be personally offended. <laughs> Don't tell him I'll be. I will not. All right. Have a good rest of All the day. Right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. 
Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.